We all need a little extra health boost sometimes, and Fleur Marche makes it easy for us to supercharge our wellness. Their botanical wellness patches have been such a fun addition to our routine. We just stick them on wherever we want. They have them for sleep, relaxation, focus, and other things. And the patch delivers ingredients to your body in a subtle but effective way, and the results last up to 12 hours. Fleur Marche also has botanical gummies and their new organic nutritional powder, Green Machine. They only use the best ingredients and are tested for potency, contaminants, and heavy metals before and after production. And one of our favorite things, we also love that the company is founded and inspired by women with the mission of helping us feel 100% every single day so that we can have full energy and crush it every day. Find your new wellness essentials at fleurmarche.com and get a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order site-wide with promo code for the girls at checkout. Orders over $50 also get free shipping. Go to fleurmarche, F-L-E-U-R-M-A-R-C-H-E.com. Use code for the girls for 20% off your first order. Welcome back, everyone. We are heading into Red Bull territory this week for the Austrian Grand Prix. And with this race, we are officially at the halfway point in the season and halfway through our inaugural for the girls season. Thank you, everyone, for being along for the ride. It is our second sprint of the year, so lots of action to look forward to this weekend. And also, in honor of heading to Austria, we're doing a special segment on the rise of Red Bull, their origin story, how they came to dominate, major players, and everything in between. And of course, we'd be remiss not to also do a quick segment on everybody's favorite Austrian in the paddock, businessman, icon, billionaire, daddy, whatever you want to call him, Toto Wolf. So stick around for that. With that, I'm Tiggy. I'm Chessa. And I'm Sarah. We are hot off this super dramatic weekend at Silverstone, so we are super ready for a doubleheader. We're going to get into the ongoing Ferrari drama and everything else, but first we want to give you some solid background for this race. We are back in continental Europe for the summer European swing. So this race is held at the Red Bull Ring in Spielberg, Austria, which is in the region of Syria. And it's a pretty isolated location. It's not anywhere close to Vienna or Salzburg or other major cities. So it's pretty cool that F1 can go from these huge, flashy events in cities like Miami and then also have these sound of music vibes in the (laughs) rolling hills of Austria. So get you some guys who can do both. Exactly. So while we do not have any current Austrian F1 drivers, Austria does have a pretty long history with F1. Obviously, Toto Wolff is from Vienna, as is Franz Tost, who is the team principal for AlphaTauri. And of course, we cannot forget former world champion Niki Lauda, who was born in Vienna and is actually the only Austrian to win his home race. This track also has a long and complicated history. The first Austrian Grand Prix was held in 1964 at the Zeltwig Airfield. In 1970, the Austrian Grand Prix returned to a new location, the Osterreich Rink, where the Grand Prix was held until 1988. But by 1988, it lost its place in the calendar because there had been so many crashes and accidents due to its narrowness and insanely high speed. Then almost 10 years later, the Austrian Grand Prix was back at the track, which had been renamed the A1 ring. Herman Tilk, the track designer that designs a lot of today's tracks, had made some big changes. And fun fact, this was first commissioned for a track. 
Then the race was removed in 2004, but Dietrich Mateschitz, the founder of Red Bull, later bought the circuit and announced rebig development plans. This took a while, actually, and the new Red Bull circuit wasn't open until 2011. Then after getting a seven-year contract, the first race at the Red Bull ring was in 2014. So one big question is why Red Bull technically races under an Austrian license when they are very clearly based out of the UK. So the billionaire owner, Dietrich, is Austrian, and he purchased what was then the A1 ring and the Jaguar F1 team in the same year, and he renamed both the team and the circuit to Red Bull, and the team has since raced under an Austrian license. The parent company of Red Bull Racing is the Red Bull Energy Drink Company, and they are also headquartered in Austria, so lots of connections there. But since the home base of Red Bull Racing is in Milton Keynes in the UK, this is kind of giving the whole Haas is an American team type of energy, <laughs> but they do still consider it their home race. Well, they'll take whatever they can get, I guess. So this weekend, we have our second sprint of the year. So we'll just do a quick reminder on the sprint format. There'll be a practice on Friday midday. That'll be the only times drivers can adjust their setup for quali, which will then be on Friday afternoon. Remember, Quali on a sprint weekend will set the order for the F1 sprint on Saturday. Then on Saturday morning, there'll be a quick practice. Then the sprint will happen that afternoon with the result of that sprint determining the order for the Grand Prix on Sunday afternoon. But the pole position accolade still goes to whoever qualified first on Friday, not whoever wins the sprint on Saturday. Mm -hmm. So the circuit, like we said, Sound of Music vibes, the Red Bull ring is set in one of the most idyllic settings with the backdrop of the Styrian Mountains. So we do have some elevation this weekend. Uh, characteristics of the track, it's a short one, 4.3 kilometers. It's the fourth shortest on the circuit. 71 laps and only 10 turns, but a pretty simple track overall and very fast. The first few turns, like we said about elevation, are up a big hill, and drivers have compared it to a roller coaster ride. There That's are fun. Yeah. There are three DRS zones, and a fun fact is that this part of Austria is decently high above sea level, which can impact the engine setting teams use, so look out for any comments about that. And the lap record here is held by our very own Carlos Sainz from 2020. Well timed. So the last races, there were actually two back-to-back -back races here last year because of COVID cancellations and scheduling issues. They weren't super exciting races. Max absolutely dominated both. He won the first by over 30 seconds and the second by 18 seconds. But we'll just go through them really quickly. So for the Styrian Grand Prix, the starting grid was Max Lewis, Lando, Checo, Botas, the most notable driver was probably Leclerc. He fought his way from the back of the pack into the points and had a lot of good overtakes. The results were Max, Lewis, Botas, Checo, Lando. And it was a super spread out field. So not only was Max over 30 seconds ahead of Lewis, but then Lewis was over 47 seconds ahead of Botas in P3. And outside the top four, everyone else was a full lap behind the race leaders. And so for the second race, the Austrian Grand Prix, the starting grid was Max, Lando, Checo, Lewis, and Botas. This was a little bit of a different race. There was a lap one safety car, so then there was very, very tight racing for the first few laps of the race with the top five all within a second or so of each other. So very different. This was an interesting race last year because there were a lot of five-second time penalties. There was some Lando versus Lewis wheel-to-wheel. -wheel. Lewis actually said on the radio that Lando was a, quote, great driver, so love to see that. 
Lando got a five-second penalty for forcing Checo off the track. Then Checo and Charles were going back and forth, and there was two second, two five-second penalties for Checo for forcing Charles off the track. And then we'll talk about this when we get to news, but Silverstone was actually notable for lack of any penalties for this kind of stuff, so maybe it won't be as much of a factor at the Austrian Grand Prix this weekend. Again, for this race, the field ended up spreading out a lot. Max won by 18 seconds. Then Botas was ahead of Lando by 20 by the finish. So we had Max, and then we had Botas and P2 go off. Lando, Lewis, Carlos, and this was two consecutive podiums for Botas last year. So maybe we'll expect exciting things from him this weekend. I hope so. He has been on a string of unfortunate events. But anyway, what kind of racing can we expect this weekend? So since it's such a short lap, it's really punishing on errors, especially in quali, because there's not enough space to make up for lost time. So this makes the quali margins tight, which is always fun. Plus, the drivers will have less time to practice before quali on Friday. So expect to see some hundreds make some differences in quali. Turn one is fun because the drivers go uphill, as we mentioned, from the start, and then it's basically a blind right-hand turn. Then after turn two, the track goes uphill again, going into the slow hairpin at turn three. Overall, several long straights and some slower corners make for decent overtake opportunities and some higher speed corners in the middle sector, so it's a good mix. And like we said, three DRS zones, so probably most overtaking opportunities will be on the straights. And something interesting is there are a couple what's called off-camber turns, which is hard to visualize, but it means that the track is sort of sloped outward. So like you're driving on a tilted surface that is tilted away from the way you're turning. So kind of an interesting thing to visualize, but don't have a lot of that on the calendar. So excited to see it. I wonder if that affects like the G-force for their, for their driving when they're turning. Maybe mm. we'll see some stuff this weekend. And in terms of the teams, Red Bull, as we said, their home race or something like that. And as we said in our Track Tuesday post, Max Verstappen has three dedicated grandstands for his traveling Orange Army fans. So expect to see lots of Netherlands orange in the crowd and lots of Dutch representation. Max will be hungry for some points and ready to go. Silverstone was the first race this season that he actually finished and didn't DNF where he wasn't on the podium. Oof. But strangely, he didn't seem too stressed after Silverstone. There was that funny picture of him smiling with the <laughs> huge carbon chunk from the Alpha Tower that had gotten stuck in his floor. Max has dominated this race for years, so definitely look out for him here. If you've never heard the song Supermax by the Pit Stop Boys, which went viral last year and <laughs> legit topped the charts in the Netherlands, now is probably your time while you get ready for this weekend. <laughs> can you sing us a few bars or is that a no? <laughs> Sadly, no. I'm going to leave that for people Googling this, but okay, that'll be homework for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Ferrari. There's a lot to talk about. Can Charles break out of his cursed string of bad luck? He was P7 and P8 here at last year's race. Not great, but also we have to remember he wasn't in such a good car. The good news for Charles fans is that Charles had said this is his favorite track after Monaco, which is very interesting. And then on the other hand, will Carlos be able to replicate that top performance again? Carlos outperformed Charles at both races last year, coming in P6 and P5. Obviously, he's riding super high off his first ever win. He had a really adorable comment that said he was genuinely surprised by how happy people in the paddock were for him. So, I mean, I'm surprised about that. We all love him. How could he not know that? 
But regardless, we're on the edge of our seats to see what the Ferrari strategy team will come up with this time. They're getting so much heat this week from all from all sides about their strategy last weekend. We will say we went a little bit rogue saying it wasn't that bad since people were overall saying Silverstone strategy was a huge fumble. But Mattia defended Ferrari's calls, of course, instead of admitting to any mistakes. So I think we're still on Ferrari's side here. <laughs> Lots of rumors about tensions in the garage, like we mentioned on Instagram. There were some reports that staff on Charles's side of the garage were reluctant to celebrate the win, but others disputed that. Carlos celebrated with friends at the factory in Imola, but Charles went back to Monaco and Mattia flew to Monaco to have dinner with him which is kind of crazy and also an interesting choice to go to a very public restaurant where they would assume that they're that they would be photographed and press conferences can get spicy so we will report back on that since f1 journalists just dive in with questions like are you mad at your team (laughs) (laughs) i love the press conferences and ferrari more generally really needs to make kind of a charles versus carlos decision where we all talk about how oh they're totally behind Charles and Carlos is clearly the number two driver. But if they actually feel that way, they have to actually act like it. And I think as a team decision, they didn't really make strategy blunders and I was here for them supporting Carlos. But at the same time, they have to make the sacrifices like making Carlos really upset if they're going to go full send with Charles being the number one driver, which is the kind of the price you have to pay. Like after Barcelona, Checo was so upset and was like publicly mad at the team. And it seems like kind of their Silverstone decisions were more based on like maybe PR concerns and wanting to seem fair and wanting to give Carlos a fair shot, which I was here for. But then they can't be surprised when Charles isn't as yeah. is, is not as much in championship contention. They want to have a big happy family, but maybe they do need to decide. (laughs) (laughs) So Mercedes, this will be a big test for them this weekend to see if they really are back. Lewis said it did feel like a big step forward, which is lovely to hear. His tires held up really well at Silverstone. George reported no bouncing. We're not going to get too optimistic because the successes have seemed very track specific, but this is a very smooth track. Toto will like that, so it goes (laughs) well for them. And McLaren, there is an extremely close battle going on for fourth place in the constructors between McLaren and Alpine. After Alonso's fifth place over Lando at Silverstone, the gap is now only six points. And Alpine, we think, sort of has an advantage here because Ocon is a strong number two right now, while Lando sort of has the entire McLaren team on his back. Sorry, Danny. (laughs) Um, But Lando has also had some amazing drives in Austria the past few years. Not really any answers on Danny Rick's tough Silverstone weekend. There were vague mentions of his car issues, but then Danny said he had no explanation or reason, which sounded quite defeatist. And Zach Brown's Instagram post was literally great drive from Lando who secured valuable points in P6, tough race for Daniel finishing in P13 with no mention of car problems or other mitigating factors. So hopefully Danny pulls it together this, this weekend. I don't know. For Aston Martin, Vettel's really stealthily making the most of bad situations and Aston's disastrous qualifyings. Stroll is, who knows, but I hope they can actually get out of Q1 so that Vettel has a chance to get some really solid points and show off his stuff more. For Alfa Romeo, Botas performed really well here last year with two podiums in a row. So maybe we'll see him execute after his string of bad luck 
liability issues have been hitting Alpha so hard recently. So hopefully they can just have a clean weekend. And also, of course, hopefully Joe is feeling good and ready to go. It seems like he's all medically cleared. So excited to have him back. Definitely. Alpine, Alonso's on a roll with P5. And it's interesting that he's actually at the tail end of his career, but is arguably outperforming his teammate Akon, which is supposedly supposed to be the team's next generation. So Alonso, we love you. Haas coming in hot off their first double points finish in many, many years and Mick's first ever points. They were so happy. They did a huge team photo. Mick's sister sprayed champagne all over him during an interview and his mom was hugging everyone in the garage. So that just really warmed our hearts. Williams, Albon said he is feeling good after his big incident that sent him to the hospital, but said that the crash had a bigger impact on his body than he expected. Williams salvaged the car enough that they are still running the upgrades on his car this weekend, which will be logistically hard with the sprint race and lack of intel from last weekend, but we'll see if Latifi can still outperform Albon. And then lastly, Alpha Tauri coming off a pretty epic disaster weekend with the cars crashing into each other. Pierre didn't finish. Yuki came last and like we said, debris from an AlphaTauri wrecking the race of their parent team's crown jewel, Max himself. And Helmut Marco said that they had hired a psychologist for Yuki to try and reduce <laughs> <the hell>? <laughs> his temper while he's driving and referred to him as a quote unquote problem child, which like, even if that's true, why does he talk to the media as if it's like a private conversation that no one will ever hear? <laughs> oh, the gossip queen in me loves that. Let's keep it coming. <laughs> Yeah, he talks to the media like it's his stream of consciousness, which I don't know if it's kind of an intentional decision to put pressure on the drivers or I I don't know, or if he just has the least filter of anyone ever. (laughs) It's a beautiful thing. All right, hot take prediction. Sarah, what is yours? I think I'm going to go with Max with a big victory, I think, with kind of the home race support coming off. I'm just going to say that's not a hot take. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then, okay, let me think of what I would say that's actually hot. Um, I'm going to go with Lewis Podium again. I think that's decently decently spicy. I'll go with both Mercedes in the top five. I think this smooth, smooth track could be what we're looking for. And I'm going to go with Mick in the points again. I think maybe if he had kind of that psychological um, barrier of the no points thing, and now maybe he'll just be – cruising free very cool um i'm gonna do a not so hot take to please don't throw me under the bus i'm gonna say max p1 charles p2 carlos p3 still holding out hope for checo so maybe he'll throw himself in the mix and actually maybe carlos had his psychological barrier removed now so actually maybe he'll beat max all right well i'm gonna make up for your lack of hot takes both of you and i'm gonna say botas in top five Damn. (laughs) Okay, I love that. You did make up for both of us. (laughs) We'll see. So some big headlines this week. There were some safety concerns after Silverstone. The sausage curves were coming under increased criticism from drivers because they caused the cars to launch in the air and caused some of the worst accidents. The F2 accident at Silverstone was horrible, and one car hit the sausage curb and flew straight across the top of the other car similar to the Max Lewis sausage curb crash at Monza last year. 
There were also some safety concerns from the Joe crash that the FIA will presumably look into. While the halo stayed intact, it seemed that the roll hoop was destroyed and ripped clean off. And the tight gap between the catch fencing and the tire barrier meant that it was hard to extract Joe from the car. And Russell said that that definitely needed to be looked into. And just quickly wanted to mention the kind of discussion this week of all of the off pushing off track and pushing people um, wide that happened at Silverstone. It feels like if this had happened last year, it would have been like raining five second penalties or needing to return a place for going off track and gaining a lasting advantage. Whereas this year we got 15 laps of Lewis, Checo, Charles, Max pushing other cars off the track with the stewards noting things, but no penalties. But commentators have mentioned the fact that under the 2022 regs, the new race director circulated driving standards guidelines that might be more lenient. So basically, in order to be entitled to room and not to get crowded out, there's different rules for going up the inside versus around the outside. So the overtaking car has to be ahead of the apex of going around the outside. So that's quite hard to do. So you can get pushed off track pretty easily. But if you're going up the inside, the overtaking car probably just needs their tires, quote unquote, alongside the car in front of the apex to be entitled to room. But it's all pretty vague. And so I think since Silverstone was such a spectacle, they were just kind of letting things roll. But be curious (laughs) to see what happens this weekend. It did lead to some good racing, though. In other news, American motorsport titan Andretti is back at it again. He's a little – he's upset that F1 won't let him start a team, saying that we need it to help keep the American fans. He predicts he has four to five teams on his side, but he still has big opponents like Toto. A lot of this is him saying that F1 feels a little snobbish and still like a European club. Obviously, he's not involved anymore, but this probably has a lot to do with Bernie Eccleston's legacy since he really wanted to keep F1 for the quote-unquote elite. So a lot to – work on with Andretti. Also, Stones needs to go away. Yeah, <laughs> he is he is irrelevant. Um, turns out Brad Pitt is going to star in Lewis's Formula One movie as a retired driver who makes an epic return to the sport. So I will definitely be going to see that whenever it's out. And then just a side note, why did everyone leave Silverstone and go immediately to Soho Farmhouse? George and his girlfriend (laughs) were there, Natalie Pinkham, Jamie Chadwick, Danny's girlfriend, so presumably also Danny. It seemed like the place to be. We also talked about how Red Bull released a statement saying Jury Vips no longer had a contract after he used a racial slur, but now it's come out that he is still a junior driver, just doesn't have a contract as a reserve or test driver, which seems a little sketchy from Red Bull. Don't like to see that. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Okay, friends, it's festival and concert season, and you know it's all about the boots this year. That's why you need to make Tacova's your number one place for festival style this spring. And don't forget to shop their seasonal and limited edition offerings, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. We love Tacova's. They have a first wear comfort, which basically means there's no break in period. It's the best thing ever. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personal. Personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's really no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, though, just visit tecovas.com, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Women's health is so important, and balanced hormones are key for that. 
We've been loving Hormone Harmony from Happy Mammoth, who's committed to making women's lives easier. Hormone Harmony contains adaptogens, science-backed herbal extracts that help the body adapt to stressors like hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. We love it because it helps us maintain optimal hormone levels and supports our mood and general well-being. There is a reason that one bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code F1R the girls at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code F1R the girls for 15% off today. So, to our segment on the rise of Red Bull, the origin of the team, the current Red Bull racing team, originated as the Stewart Grand Prix outfit in the late 90s. It was sold to Ford Motor Company in 1999 and rebranded as. Jaguar Racing, but they really didn't do well. And so Ford put it up for sale five years later in 2004, saying there was kind of no longer a compelling business case. So probably eating those words now. A fun fact, Ford had asked bidders for a symbolic $1 in return for a commitment to invest $400 million in the team over three seasons. So technically, we could have bought Red Bull for a dollar back then. <laughs> but as we mentioned, Dietrich, who is the co-founder and CEO of Red Bull, the energy drink company, bought the team and rebranded it as Red Bull Racing, and the rest is history. So the team's growth and success over the years can be arguably attributed mostly in part to Christian Horner. He was installed as the team principal, as the youngest team principal ever at like 39 or 40. That was after the sale in 2005. He continues in that role today, and he really is an institution um, as the longest-serving team principal in the paddock. So from 2005 to 2008, the team's first four seasons made them a pretty solid midfield team. They had drivers like Mark Weber. And then in 2009, everything really changed when Vettel came onto the scene, replacing one of their drivers. And this was really a case of perfect timing. This coincided with the major reset in F1 aerodynamic regulations. So the new car was a real winner, boosted the team to a lot of wins. They got second place in the constructors. That was the year that also Red Bull got really good at in-season development, which is definitely one of their stronger suits today. Yeah, this really marked the start of the Red Bull and Vettel glory years. So from 2010 to 2013, Red Bull was basically unstoppable. Vettel won the Drivers' Championship and Red Bull won Constructors for four years in a row. And Vettel's first win in 2010 made him the youngest ever world champion at 23 years old. And fun fact, the 2013 season didn't actually start out too hot for Red Bull, and Vettel had to win nine consecutive victories to secure the title, which set another F1 record. So that was a great stretch for them. So then in 2014, Mark Webber retired and Danny Rick arrived on the scene, and this was the big year of the new turbo hybrid power units, and Red Bull really struggled with the transition, kind of similar to how Mercedes has bit has had a bit of a sudden fall from grace this year with the new cars. Danny still had three victories that year and came in third, but Vettel really struggled and came in fifth in the Drivers' Championship, over 200 points behind the champion Lewis after having won four years in a row. And he reportedly used his escape clause to leave Red Bull and go to Ferrari. So this kind of really marked the end of the first Red Bull era and the rise of the Mercedes era. So as we know, Red Bull then didn't win either championship for eight years and still has never won the Constructors since. And in particular in 2015, when Daniel Kvyat replaced Vettel, they didn't have any victories. 
So 2016, things turned around a bit. Max was promoted from Toro Rosso to replace Kvyat only four races into the season. He won his first ever race in Formula One, which is insane. That was the Spanish Grand Prix. And we would be remiss not to mention his Mr. Still Your Girl moment when Kvyat later lost his F1 seat. He dated Kelly Piquet for several years and is the father of her child. Then he reportedly dumped her sometime in 2020 while their child was still a baby. She started dating Max. So essentially, Max not only took Kvyat's seat, <laughs> did way better, um, but now he is dating his ex-girlfriend and is doing really well in that role as <laughs> man on man on her arm. So 2017 and 2018, they were actually great seasons for Red Bull. They came in third in the constructors both years to Mercedes and Ferrari. And this was the time when Danny got his win at Monaco. Max got his first home win at Austria. But as we discussed in the Danny Deep Dive episode, the relations were not amazing between the drivers. And it became clear that Red Bull viewed Max as their future world champion. And so, like we said, Danny left at the end of 2018. And tragically for Danny, 2019 is when Red Bull started to return to the top. So in 2019, Red Bull switched from Renault-powered to Honda-powered engines. And that definitely launched them sort of to where they have been since. Red Bull had been upset with Renault for a while at this point, so it was really a smart move for the team. And Max, of course, the main event at the team now, but the team struggled to find a number two driver for him. Gasly came in to fill the second seat, only to be replaced by Albon after the summer break. Now we have Checo, who is the best. Yeah, and the 2020 season was cut short due to COVID, but Max podiumed in every race that he actually finished, not counting his DNFs. Then, of course... We don't need to get into it since we all know the 2021 season made history marked Red Bull's full return to the front of the grid. And as Sticky mentioned, a really big change was Checo replaced Alex. And Checo has turned out to be the perfect second driver for a team that the team had really been searching for and has that experience and professionalism instead of kind of these younger, untested drivers. And then for this year, Red Bull parted with Honda and broke ground with their first ever internal Red Bull powertrain in-house engine. And we'd be remiss not to mention the name change that happened this year. So Red Bull Racing became Oracle Red Bull Racing since they use Oracle Cloud for operations, analytics, and development. So before we wrap up on Red Bull, we'll just do a quick little note on their junior program and how they source the young talent. These sorts of programs... There, it, there's a debate about how realistic they are in terms of giving drivers an actual shot to be an F1, but Red Bull definitely has one of the most powerful young drivers programs. It's called Alpha Tauri, formerly Toro Rosso, and that is the official Red Bull Junior team. Vettel, Danny, Verstappen, they were all Red Bull Junior drivers and then, um, and then became Toro Rosso drivers before being promoted fully onto the Red Bull team. As we mentioned earlier, Albon, Gasly, Kvyat, were all also Red Bull junior drivers and then Toro Rosso drivers that then got to shoot their shot in the Red Bull car. They didn't cut it, um, but there's a lot of people coming up through there. Carlos Sainz was also a Red Bull junior driver um, and then a Toro Rosso driver. He switched gears a little bit when he realized he wasn't going to get the main Red Bull seat. And then also, we've mentioned this as well, IndyCar driver Pato Award has been thrown around as a potential future McLaren driver, but he's also an alum of the junior program. These junior Red Bull drivers currently race in F2, F3, F4, and karting. So it's a very stacked development program with quite the legacy. 
So to go into our final segment here on our resident Austrian and also the tallest person in the paddock, Toto Wolf, his backstory. He is 50 years old. He was born in Vienna and grew up there and has Polish and Romanian parents. He did not grow up wealthy and his father died of brain cancer when he was a teenager. So he had a tough upbringing, which is all the more amazing for how he is today. And as we all know, he was also a motor car racer. He started racing in 1992 in the Austrian Formula Ford Championship. He drove in Austrian and German Formula Ford in 1993 and 1994. And in 2002, finished sixth in the FIA GT Championship and also raced in the Italian GT Championship. And so he went to uni in Vienna, and then he went into finance. He founded two investment companies focused on internet and tech investing, and became super wealthy. It's estimated that he's worth over $300 million. Then in 2009, kind of combining investing and how into motorsport he was, he invested in the Williams team and joined the board and then became executive director of Williams in 2012. And kind of a sad fun fact, that was the last year that Williams won a race. Then in 2013, he left to become an executive director at Mercedes. He bought a 30% stake of the Mercedes F1 team and took over all of the kind of general Mercedes-Benz motorsport coordination. And then at this time, Nicky Lauda also purchased 10% and the parent company of Mercedes retained 60%. And then by 2016, Toto had sold all of his shares in Williams and went the full send Mercedes domination that we now know and love from him. Yeah, since he joined Mercedes from 2014 to 2020, they have broken all the records for most consecutive double world championships at seven, most consecutive constructors, and then most consecutive drivers championships at seven as well. So this gives them a 60% winning record since he joined. Talk about total domination. So let's talk about a few legendary total moments. First, he threatened to fire both Hamilton and Rosberg when they were feuding. Lewis said it was the angriest he's ever seen Toto. He was literally pulling his hair out. According to Toto, he said, quote, don't challenge me on this. You don't want to find out what I'm capable of. So this kind of like goes along with this video we found of Toto joking about himself being a Bond villain. He would play the part very well. Also, the much-memed throwing of his headphones when Max and Lewis crashed at Jeddah last year and him pointing at the camera when Lewis won in Brazil. We also have to mention the Michael, that is so not right. Shout out, Sarah made me a Michael, that is so not right hat, which I love to wear. <laughs> yes, Toto, also famous for wearing his black turtleneck and deadpanning to the Netflix cameras. Everybody has a target on their back next year. <laughs> and- they would make a really good Real Housewife. in an interview during lockdown he was asked what apps are on his phone and he said i haven't looked at any apps and his wife Susie, said he doesn't know how to download apps and in the same interview he was asked what his favorite track was and he said i don't care they're all the same it's about scoring a good result with his cheeky smile So funny. And today he owns a third of Mercedes, a 33% stake, and he is both the team principal and the CEO and just overall crushing it. Harvard Business School recently did a case study on Mercedes in the Toto era. One thing we have to mention is the Toto versus Christian rivalry. Christian has famously criticized Toto for being basically just a finance guy who came into a winning team and never had to build a team from the ground up. So 
coming back from this year will be a great way for him to stick it to Christian. And in Drive to Survive last season, Toto at various points first compared Christian to, quote, a Jack Russell Terrier who likes to snap at your heels <laughs> and then said Red Bull was like, quote, a baby throwing toys out of the pram. <laughs> we seriously cool. need to get him on a Real Housewives episode. He'd be so good. <laughs> So Toto and Lewis, they seem like they are quite close and on the same page now, but Toto did say in an interview recently that he actually had a frosty relationship with Lewis until a big personal moment they had at a Christmas party or at the at that they had at a Christmas party after the 2016 season. Toto basically told Lewis that he quote didn't want a divorce and that they should work it out. So now Toto is fully team Lewis and is his biggest <laughs> fan. Yes. And to wrap up on his personal life, he married Susie Wolf in 2011, a former F1 test driver and the CEO of a Formula E team, who we discuss in a lot more detail in our Women in F1 episode. Definitely the biggest power couple on the grid. And Toto is super supportive of her. In an interview they did together, he first introduced himself as Susie's husband, which we love to hear. And they have a cute young son, and Total also has two kids from a previous marriage. He has been outspoken about mental health, which we love to see. They primarily live in Switzerland when not traveling. And we will leave you with the very fun fact that Toto casually speaks five languages. So that is crazy. Maybe send us a DM and guess which ones you think they are. (laughs) So with that, we are looking forward to the Austrian Grand Prix and the Sprint this weekend, and we will catch you on the other side for a recap.